Thank you. It's so, I, I just, these COVID restraints are killing me. Because uh, I just want to come out and hug every one of you. And then for those of you online, I just want to track you down. I'll get your addresses. Just not going to, just, just want to give you a hug. Uh, so it's so good to be with you again. I thank Krista for signing for me. Krista is my homeowners association president. So she, she's the one that makes sure I love my neighbors. I love myself, literally. So thank you, Krista. Um, <laughs> the Bollingers made me a, made me a sign. We love you, Pastor. I love you too. I love your whole family. Oh, Pastor Joel, Joel just got up there. Bless you guys. Oh man. Well, that was a lot more cheerful than this sermon's going to be. Um, what well, you know? Here's the deal. We enter into one of the darkest passages um, in all the scriptures, and 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 it enters into something that is very linked with what we're going through today. It is the trial of Jesus where religious leaders, people defending their religion, become more harmful than helpful, more bearing false witness than seeking the truth. It starts out like this in John 18, 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now, they didn't go in because they wanted to keep themselves ceremoniously clean for religious purposes. Nonetheless, they could take Jesus to get him executed. And we know they're there to kill the one they think does not fit in their image of their religion. Because later on, it says in 1831, it says, we brought him to you because we have no right to execute anyone. So we brought him to you to kill him for us. I gotta tell you something horrible about religion. It kills. It kills. And I don't care what religion you're talking about. The, the, the people who see themselves as defenders, as guardians, as leaders, who would defend their religion, execute or somehow seek to harm those who don't fit their standards. And that goes for any religion, including Christianity. Let me tell you something you already know because you've lived. If you've ever been hurt by the church, 99% of the chance is you got hurt by a hyper-religious person. Not by somebody who was just trying to get near God, but somebody who poised themselves as the judge of what their religion should be. Those of you who worship with us online, some of you, will never come back to the church. Not physically. Because you've been so hurt and so condemned and so judged, you can't risk it again. You want to get near Jesus, but you fear if you come back in, you're going to get some religious person that tells you why you don't meet up to what they think 
is religion. Who, who are real Christians? That, that, always, that phrase always kills me. You're, you can't be a real Christian if. Seriously? Who set you up as judge? You know, I, I, I've been a part of the civil rights movement since the 60s. And I am part of con a continuing effort for the, for the justice that God continues to seek in this world. And so in my studies, I've looked at the institutional protection of power groups. Therefore, they are purveyors of discrimination. You wanna, you wanna know one of the chief institutions? The church. And it's killing me. Probably the foremost um, research leader in this country when it comes to the church is Robert Jones, the Public Research um, um, Religion Research Institute. And he's written in his latest book that the more religious you are, the less you're likely to see a problem with racism and exclusion and discrimination and bias. If you're non-religious, which we will soon see in this passage, you're much more likely to be open to the conversation about what, you know, what's really going on. It's not just him that says that, Barna that says that. We are growing more resistant to talk about the people who have been left out as the years go by. By we, I mean conservative evangelicals. More resistant. We could not be further from our founder than not wanting to talk about how to include those people who could be included, but who have been left out. That was all Jesus' life. That was all Jesus' ministry. That's the, why, that's the reason Jesus came down, to include people who had been left out. Religion is a system of conformity, behavioral conformity, that if you don't fit it, will exclude it, will exclude you, will cause you harm, will, will demean you. That's not Jesus' idea. Jesus' idea, watch this, is you want to improve the world? First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you can talk about the speck in your brother's eye. Religion says this is what's wrong with everybody else. But not Jesus. Jesus says this is how we can be better fit to serve others. And so we enter into this scene with the religious people wanting to judge, ironically, the one who would fulfill their faith, but they see as a threat to their faith. And then he goes, be <laughs> he goes before this guy who's not religious. You know, Pilate, just kind of. And Pilate wants to really look at who's right in front of him. The one they're missing, the one right in front, wants to go in personally, right in front of him. And he goes in and he says, and this is John 18, 33 and 34. Are you the king of the Jews? 
So, uh, I, I emphasize you there because in the, in the original language, it, it's, like a, it's, it's like exclamatory. Are you the king of the Jews? Remember what the Bible says about Jesus. He, he wasn't a superstar. He had, no, he, he had no comely appearance, nothing to recommend him to the world, you know. He was just, a, just an average-looking guy. And Pilate goes in and says, are you the king of the Jews? Now watch what Jesus does. This is, this is Jesus. He turns it personal. He turns it personal. Religion is general. Religion is categories. But epiphany is personal. Now you remember what epiphany is, right? There's two kinds of sight. One is... And, and two different Greek words for this. And I told you this last time I was with you. The one is seeing what's right before you materially, circumstantially. I see. The other is understanding. It dawns on you. I see. When Pilate went in, he was speaking in terms of 1 Samuel sixteen seven, where the Bible says, the world looks on the outside, on the appearances, but God looks at the heart. And, he, and Jesus was trying to get him to look at who he really was. And so he says this. He says, are you speaking for yourself? Put that, put that scripture back there. Is that your own idea? Remember what he said to Peter. Who do you say that I am? That's the central question, personally. I don't care what the crowd's saying. I don't care what the crowd's shouting. I don't care what religion is trying to get you to conform to. Who do you say that I am? Are you speaking of your own idea? Or is it the crowds? And he's trying to get Pilate to come to grips personally with who's standing right in front of him. Do you remember the, the last time I was here, I taught, you, I taught you three kinds of truth. One is circumstantial truth. Now, this is, this is just trying to get some information. Every time you hit Google, you're going after circumstantial truth. Here's the problem with circumstantial truth. It's always changing. Because circumstances change. Different people have different interpretations. And so going after circumstantial truth is like a dog chasing its tail. A lot of activity, no satisfaction, no place to land. So when you're listening to the crowd, you're listening for circumstantial truth. The second one was figurative truth. Those are the principles, wisdom. And wisdom has some stability to it. But the third is eternal truth. Eternal truth. And when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Is that your idea? This is what he's trying to get Pilate to see. Truth is not a concept. It's not a piece of information. It's a person. I am the way and the truth and the life. Eternal truth will never change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he is the truth. He is the one that made the world. 
He is the stability. He is the source. And so what the crowd was missing and what Pilate was missing was that he had truth right in front of him. And Jesus tried to say that to him because, because when he said, Jesus said, I, I, my kingdom is not in this world. And, 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 and he said, so you're a king. And Jesus said, well, you, you said I was a king. Yeah, you're, you're, you're on the right track. My kingdom's not in this world. And, 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 and then Jesus says this. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So, so the point here is that we can get caught up in religious doctrine or dogma and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. That's never what Jesus led us to. Jesus led us into a relationship with him so that we could discover, watch this, who we are and why we were made and why we're still here. When I was a, went to elementary school, I had two very different teachers. And, and oddly, they were just like their names sounded. The first one was Mrs. Fromm. Fromm. It sounded like frown. And that's kind of her manner. You know, she was a big woman. Not big, big. And she, she always wore gray dresses and had a bun on her head and, and those little short black heels that lace up. It was combat boots before there were combat boots. And she'd walk up and down in front of the classroom, you know, and say, no, children, this is what I expect. And she had these, these requirements, both behaviorally and towards academic achievement. It was very clear. You didn't wonder. The problem was nobody could live up to it, least of all me. Religion is like that. They keep trying to clarify the requirements. The problem is nobody can live up to it. And so you walk your whole life with a sense of condemnation. When the Bible clearly says that because of what Christ is, there's no condemnation in Christ. But if you're trying to practice religion, there will always be this mild guilt. I'm not enough. I can't do enough. I'm always... You know. Here's the second teacher I had. Her first name was Joy. Oh, yeah. And you get her whole personality. Miss Joy Bethel. I'll never forget her as long as I live. It was not a good age for me. We were poor. I didn't have as good a clothes as the other kids. Half the time I had one of those floppy shoes where the sole was coming off, but you had to make do, you know, so you sounded like a one-man band going down the, because right, I had corduroys and flop, flop down the hallway. I, I, I was missing the tooth and there's freckles all over and a buzz haircut. And my shirt was always, and I'll never forget Miss Pepper looking at me. Joey, you are such a treasure. Do you know the gift to the world you are? Oh, gosh. You know what Jesus says when he looks at you? You are such a treasure. Just like you are.
I remember knitting you together in your mother's womb. Do you know the gift to the world you are? Those are two different things. Those are two different images. We can live our whole lives trying to meet up to people's expectations who, by the way, don't like us and we don't like them. We have spent all our time trying to please the crowd and never be able to do it. Or all our time trying to love like Jesus loved. We have spent all of our time trying to figure out who's wrong. <laughs> or all our time just trying to do something right. A few years ago, we decided that we would just give one very clear thing to do every day to people who were interested. Just so that when people went to bed at night and they said, I wonder if I got anything good done today. They'd never have to question it because as long as they did this one thing, they could do it. And if you couldn't do it, no guilt. <laughs> and we call it simple help. This is it's, if you if you want to join us, it's just simple.help. No net or org or com or anything, just simple.help. And what it does is it lets us seek the positive that we're still here for instead of get all involved in the negative, the voices of the crowd. Well, poor Pilate, he, he missed what was right in front of him because he didn't have form, a time to form that relationship that Jesus kept noodling for. He didn't miss the fact that Jesus was innocent, by the way. He came out three times in that crowd and said, I find no wrong, nothing wrong that this man's done. It matched the three times he was denied by Peter, his disciple. But he couldn't last in following the one he knew was innocent or defending that one, and so he handed him over to be tortured, wearing a crown of thorns because he was a king. By the way, those of us who live in Florida know that most palm branches have thorns, and it's very likely that that crown of thorns <laughs> was made by the same bushes, the same trees, whose branches had yielded palms a week before to proclaim his kingship. How quickly we turn. But here he was, just getting business done, you know? And that's us. We, a lot of us just want to get business done, and we do our religious thing, you know, to get business done. I heard a story about this kid who wrote his pastor, 10 years old. And the letter was, Dear Pastor, are you a friend of God's or do you just know him by business connections? That's a really good question, isn't it? Are we friends of God? Or do we just have business connections? Religious connections? So, as you go through this very dark scripture, 
And you see him handing Jesus over, abandoning the truth and the innocence and the vulnerability right in front of him. As we see this happen, we know that we have a choice to make. And that is either to align ourselves with what is God, God is doing or to fall in with the voices of the crowd who will try to guard their religion or pit their religion against everybody else, against every other religion, everybody who doesn't belong, and somehow try to win because of their religion. So it's either alignment or elimination. Alignment is the business of heaven. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are calling out to the King, Jesus, who, who we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to align with heaven. You all remember, don't you, that you got into this just because you wanted to love God, you wanted to be loved by God, you wanted a relationship with God. We all remember that, right? How do we devolve into religion? Well, we get busy and we forget. I heard this story about this older lady who was in the car driving and she gets this call on the phone. It's her daughter. And her daughter says, Mom, where are you? And she said, oh, hi, honey. Uh, well, I'm just, I just was at Walmart, and I'm just uh, coming back, and I'm almost home. Where are you? And the daughter says, I'm at Walmart, where you brought me to be with you. You know, we started out with Jesus. We took him with us, and then we kind of got busy and forgot. And we fell into religion. And we fell into condemnation. We fell into judging everybody else. And we fell into divisions. And I got to tell you, this is the product of years of being enculturated to self-centeredness. Now, self-centeredness was the original sin. This is nothing new. But our culture has trained us that we... And our group must take priority. In the 1950s, there was a survey done of teens. And one of the questions on that survey is, are you very important? Less than 10% of teenagers said, yes, I'm very important. That same survey was done in the 2000s. Over 80% of the teens said, yes, I'm very important. Now, I don't know whether that's years of giving trophies to everybody or, or, or what the deal is, whether it's just a natural, uh, progressive immaturity of us all. But that's who we are as a society today. We would assume that we are the center of the universe that our group is right, that our opinion is right. That's the voice of the crowd. And everybody who would challenge us needs to be eliminated. And so it makes us do stuff we never thought we'd do. 
and say things we never thought we'd say because we feel like we're right in defending our religion. In John 19.15, the crowd shouts, Take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? And then this is what the chief priests of Judaism answer. We have no king but Caesar. You could not get into a more worldly mentality than an occupied nation saying we have no king, a religious people saying we have no king, but the secular atheist king that now oppresses them. That's how extreme they had become. They had allowed themselves to become. And do you know what? All of us are being radicalized. Not intentionally. But I got to tell you, just from the structures of our communications devices, Yael Eisenstadt, former CIA agent who studied extremism, that was her field, has now studied the media, especially social media platforms, specifically Facebook, and the algorithms by which these platforms are monetized. It will not come as a surprise to you that the more you divide people, the more you cause distrust and suspicion, the more you separate people into little bubbles, into their own little agreement circles, the more money you make. The higher your ratings. That's true for media in general. Finally, the Bible says in John 19, 16, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. He just gave up. How many of us are about to give up. How many of us are trying to find the truth, but we just keep chasing our tails, and we don't know exactly what the truth is anymore, and so we say with him, what is truth? I mean, who knows? When the truth is right in front of us, and his name is Jesus, and he's always been there, And he's still there. And we can turn to him. And everything we do and everything we read and everyone we listen to and everybody we gather with and how we vote and how we live and how we love can be governed by this. I'm going to be around people who help me love God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. Because that's what he taught us. And that's who he is. And that's who I am. Because I have one king, and his name is Jesus. This is a dark passage, and these are dark times. They're dark times when we're in a pandemic that separate us from one another. 
that isolate us. When we were made to be together, we were made for human contact. But because in our isolation, we become distanced, we also begin to become distrustful. We also begin to become more divided and more depressed. We also begin to become more addicted because we're trying to mask the pain and the loneliness and the alienation. Do you know that overdoses in Seminole County are up 60% from last year? These are dark times. Suicides shooting through the ceiling. These are dark times. But I choose to believe because of who God is that it's the kind of darkness that in Genesis 1 verse 2 says, and darkness was over the deep just before God spoke. Don't abandon yourself to the darkness. This is a dark passage and these are dark times. When we abandon the pursuit of truth because we've been looking in the wrong place for it. When we walk away from the vulnerable and the innocent who we were put there to save or to help. But I believe there's a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. These are dark times. When we, as a culture, would whether argue and accuse, then let our natural response be one of charity and grace and giving each other the benefit of the doubt. I'm reminded of how easily judgment and condemnation come to our mind that ignore our own sin that nailed him to that cross that day when darkness covered all the land. But I'm reminded the story does not end there. In just a few days, This is a dark passage, and these are dark times when the personal trauma so many of you are going through. I've had so many families of late get totally unexpected diagnoses that are devastating. And they're walking around in shock. And their whole world is dark and surreal. And they're just going through the motions. I I know a little bit about what it is to live in shock. 
It's the first thing you become aware of when you wake up in the morning. And there's a darkness in your soul all through the day. And it's the last thing you think about before exhausted you have to sleep. There are so many among us that are living lives of such deep pain and dashed hopes. But I believe, I believe that if we choose to get closer to Christ, that we will join Mary Magdalene. That on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, went to the tomb of Jesus and found another surprise that had trumped the pain. These are dark times, and they'll go on for some time. We're in an election turmoil where you just kind of go, is anybody even trying to tell the truth? Is anybody trying not to set us against one another? Anybody? These are times of racial unrest, economic devastation. But I believe if we keep walking, even though we're disappointed, even though our hopes have been covered up by a black cloud, we will discover who has been walking with us. Many of you and I have walked a long way toward Emmaus together. Many years, many miles. And we know from that story and some of us from our experience But if we just go on a little further, our eyes will be opened. And we will see the one that was there, that we had missed because of our pain or because of our gloom. He's there. And if we walk even further, we will come into that land where there is no more darkness. There is no need of lamp or sun because God himself is our light. And along the way, we'll have formed the community that has a very different proclamation than this one 2,000 years ago because our proclamation will be, no matter how you try to fit us into a religion or a political party or a label, we will resist because we have one king, and his name is Jesus. We have one king, and his name is Jesus. We don't fit anywhere else. We fit with him.